Good evening. A very warm welcome to you. Good to see you here. If you're a visitor, really good to have you with us. Uh, if you've been here many times, good to have you with us too. Welcome to those of you online. Um, just to say uh, that there are refreshments after the service. So if you'd like to stay and have a cup of tea or coffee and a biscuit, you'd be very welcome and be great to chat to you. Um, just uh, three other quick notices as well. Uh, just before we start, really. Uh, so firstly, the SGP conference, which John mentioned this morning. Uh, so it's happening at All Saints on the 5th of November, uh, run by the Sussex Gospel Partnership. There'll be some people coming from about two hours away, roughly, and we've got it literally just up the road. So it's a blessing to have it so close, and it's called God's Better Story, and it's for a world wrestling with identity, sexuality, and gender. These obviously uh, massive topics for the world today, and thinking about what do Christians think about this. There's a lot of confusion about this sort of, these sorts of topics. So if you want to help, either for yourself or for others, uh, I'd really recommend coming along to that, booking up. I think we've got about four weeks to book up. I'd recommend booking up quick. There's lots of um, flyers in the hall, so do take one if that's something you might be interested in finding out a bit more about. Also, uh, next week, important notice, it's the Harvest Family Service next Sunday morning, which means that it's at 10.30, 10.30. So if you turn up at quarter past 11, I'm afraid you'll be a bit late. So 10.30, family service next week. Also, um, we're hoping to introduce some new songs in the next uh, few weeks or so. Um, and just to say that those songs are now on the website. So if you'd like to get a bit of a head start and listen to them and get to know them. If you go on the website, there should be a link that you can click and uh, you can listen to them and, and get to know them a little bit. Well, let's pray and ask God to help us this evening as we uh, come to worship him. Heavenly Father, thank you for church. And Lord, as we come tonight and we look at the title, Why Bother About Church? Lord, I pray that you'd really help us. Lord, we're, we're all here and we're all listening, but sometimes we can wonder why we're here or not really understand the wonder of what church really is. Lord, I pray that tonight, Lord, we'd really understand why we should bother with church. So Lord, do help John later as he speaks to us and do help us now as we come to sing and worship and hear your word. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us. I pray that our hearts may be ready to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to sing our first song now. Um, it's easy, isn't it, to forget how good it is to be God's people and to live in his ways. So we're going to sing how good it is when the family of God dwells together in spirit, in faith and unity. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing.
So as I mentioned in prayer, that's the, the title for this evening is Why Bother About Church? So we're looking forward to John, our pastor, answering that question for us. And uh, he's going to be doing it from our, our readings, 1 Timothy 3, firstly, and then we're going to read briefly Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22. But our first reading is 1 Timothy chapter 3, which is page 992 in the Church Bibles. So 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So that's 1 Timothy chapter 3, and now we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, and that's page 977 in the Church Bible. says this, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So reads God's words. Well, we're going to sing about the Lord of the Church now in our second song. So, Lord of the Church, we pray for our renewing.
Well, I'd like to invite you now to join with me as uh, I pray to God. So let's join together in prayer. Our Lord God, we pray now that you would help us to pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to come now with the right spirit before you. Lord, we need your help. Lord, help us to pray. Lord, this morning we were thinking about Colossians 1 and the prayer there that Paul prayed unceasingly for them. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to choose wisely as we were thinking about this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to walk worthy of you. Lord, I pray that in our lives, Lord, that we would bear fruit, that they'd be fruitful, that it would do much for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us according to your might. Lord, we know just a small part of how mighty you are, but Lord, you are the God who made all things. And Lord, that power is now there for us, to strengthen us. Lord, strengthen us, I pray. Lord, I pray that we would give thanks with joy. Lord, you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of the light. Lord, what an incredible thing that is. Lord, we've been... Delivered, transferred, redeemed and forgiven if we know you. Lord, I thank you that that is what you do for us. I pray that those four words would be very special to us. Delivered, transferred, redeemed and forgiven. Lord, I thank you so much for the family service we've got next Sunday morning. Lord, there's an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Lord, as we think about Jesus being the bread of life. Lord, I pray, Lord, that there may be people there who maybe don't know you at all, and yet, Lord, come to know you. They too may be forgiven. They too may have eternal life simply by believing in you. Lord, I pray that you put it in people's heart to come. Lord, I pray that you bless those of us involved in the service. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that it may be a morning where we give thanks to you and praise you for the harvest, um, and also we know more of you. Lord, we pray these things. Lord, we pray for the men's event coming up this week as well. Lord, I pray that you would grow us as men. Lord, I pray that you would use it. Lord, that it would be a good impact for your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that you'd help Wes as well, Lord, as he's preparing, maybe putting the final touches to it in the the next day or so. Lord, I pray that you bless his heart, Lord, as he comes to speak to us. Lord, give him the words to say. Lord, do help him and thank you for him. Thank you for the good that he's done already in so many people's lives. Lord, I pray that he'd be a blessing to us as he as he joins us. Lord, I really pray for the students. Lord, especially those who have just gone uh, this week or in the last couple of weeks. Lord, we pray for uh, Zach and Kim and Elijah and Jacob. Lord, I thank you for them. Lord, you know we'll miss each and every one of them. Lord, I pray that you bless them in their new setting. Keep them, Lord. Thank you that you're not just the God of Crowborough, but that you're the God of wherever they are too, all over the world. Lord, I pray that you give them wisdom. Lord, your word tells us that your wisdom is more valuable than anything we could desire. And Lord, at uni, Lord, they can desire all sorts of things. Lord, I pray that in their hearts they would know that you and your wisdom are more valuable than anything they can desire. Lord, I thank you so much for Christianity Explored as well. Lord, we thank you for Martin and Jane uh, for doing it and for the fact they've got a good number. Lord, you know that there are people there with big questions. Lord, I thank you that your word has answers. Lord, that your word answers the biggest questions we can have. And Lord, I pray that you'd help Martin and Jane particularly as they lead that meeting. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to facilitate it well. And Lord, I pray that people may come away having met you and having found out answers to their biggest questions. So Lord, do use that. Lord, is it is a couple of weeks break now? Lord, I pray that people would come back after that refreshed and ready to go again for the second half of that course. Lord, I thank you for the message as well um, at the funeral this last Monday. 
Lord, the gospel that we heard. Lord, you know that many of us would have loved it to be longer and more there, but yet, Lord, your, uh, your word was read and Jesus was proclaimed. And Lord, we know that there is power in your word. And Lord, so many people watched it. Lord, I just pray that you would work through that. Lord, you can work through anything. Lord, the smallest of things. Lord, I pray that it would spark conversations. Lord, I pray that people may look back to that day and say, that was the day when I first heard of Jesus. That was the day when I first became intrigued. That was the day when I first understood that it was more than uh, just a, a belief. It was, it was knowing God. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to listen. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be ready. Lord, I pray that you'd help John as he speaks. Lord, do help him to speak clearly. Thank you for the prep he's put in. And Lord, this may be things we've heard before. If it is, Lord, I pray that we'd hear it with humility, knowing that we need to hear it again. Lord, if we've never heard any of this, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, that we'd understand just something of just how special church is. And Lord, I pray that at the end of this evening, we may be gripped by what church really is. And that we may not just be thinking about why bothering come to church, but we may be so looking forward to coming to church week by week. So Lord, do be with us. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing our third song now before John comes up and speaks to us. And uh, it's glorious things of you are spoken, and I'm going to read verse 4. Saviour. Since of Zion's city, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity, I will glory in your name. Fading are the world's best pleasures, all its boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children. No. Let's stand and sing.
why bother with church? How do you view the church? I'll give you some options. An old grey building, a, a hobby for religious people, a bastion of traditions, and a relevance. It's important for us to understand the Bible's view of the church, God's view of the church. And it's very different from the uh, four options I just passed on to you. And realising what the church is really like and about will make a, a big difference to our attitudes. And I'm hoping that this evening we'll do that as we think about this theme. We can go to many places in the Bible to get a, a bigger grasp of what the church is about. But this evening we're going to focus especially on a couple of verses in 1 Timothy 3 where we read. So we're on page 992 for those who are following in the church Bibles. And it is going to help address that question of why bother with church. Um, So much of this letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy, is about... uh, the life of the church and how things should be. It covers aspects to do with leaders. We read some of that in the chapter 3 that was read. It covers things about men and women in the life of the church. It covers things about ministry. It covers things about attitude to older people. There's aspects in it about wealth and relationships. There's lots of things to do with the life of the church Uh, And as we think of this letter, the two verses that we're focusing on this evening are very central to the letter, because they tell us really why it was written uh, and what it's about. They're sort of a purpose sentences about the letter of 1 Timothy. He says why it was written, verse 14, I hope to see you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in... And then he carries on. So he's wanting them to know how to conduct themselves, how things should work, what the right approaches are to the life of the church. And as he explains that, he gives them some, if you like, some massive motivations to give attention to the things he's gone through. He gives fuel for the fire... He switches them on and says, this is why what I'm saying is so important. And grasping what he says in just this verse or two will give us a a heightened view of the church. So we here are not a high church. A high church is usually into very ceremonies and rituals, smells and bells. We are not a high church, but we do have a high view of the church. The Bible has a high view of the church. And when we get that, it will, it will start to affect things. It will start to affect, so this is why this seems quite practical, it start to affect how we feel about being with the church and in the church. It will start to affect um, how interested we are in the health of the church. It will start to affect um, how keen we are on the work of the church. It will start to affect how much we pray for the effect of the church on the community around us. It will affect our commitment to the church. I heard this week of uh, um, a quote. Somebody said that this generation is a generation of commitment phobes. 
commitment phobes. Phobe, phobia, fear, commitment fear. People frightened of commitment. And they were saying that it's shown in relationships, it's shown in attitude to work, and it's shown also in attitude to the church. But that, like the other things I've just gone through, these practical things, will be impacted by grasping what the church is. And we have in this, in this especially verse, verse um, 15 actually, we have in this three descriptions of the church. There are more elsewhere in the Bible. We could bring in other things which would add sort of more fuel to the fire of motivation. But we're just going to go through these three. I don't know whether you ever looked at this verse. I never preached singly from this verse. But I think it would be good for us this evening. Three descriptions of the church which will really will address that question of why bother with church. And... Uh, the first is the family of God. The family of God. How one ought to behave, conduct oneself in the household of God. Uh, now household, the Bible can mean house, it can mean household, it can mean family. And we'll pick up some of the imagery of house, household as we go on, because they come out in the other descriptions too. But the, the church is family. The church is people. The church is not a building in the Bible. We we say, I saw this nice church in the village. Well, yeah, that's what we say, but that's not the Bible's description. In the Bible, uh, church is not about building, it's about people. And it's about people as a family. And family language is used in this chapter as part of the reason why we read the earlier verses as well. In talking about um, somebody who is an overseer or an elder, it says in verse 4, he must manage his own household well, his own family well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. So family thoughts are in mind in this chapter. So I think that's right. It's it's right to see this household word as talking of the family. It also comes out in the way relationships described, I think very nicely, in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So do you see the church like that? As God's family. Sometimes people talk of, or some churches, we don't tend to pick up on the language here, perhaps we should, but some people talk of the church family. And that's quite a nice description, and it's in keeping with what the Bible teaches. Of course, some people's a sad experience of family and family life is, is very unideal, very disturbing, quite traumatic sometimes. But this is drawing on uh, good family pictures, good family imagery, families as they should be. The church is a family. Families are usually bound together by birth. And the church is a group of people born again by the Spirit. They're united together by parents And the church has a wonderful heavenly father. The family often has siblings in common. And the church has Jesus as the older brother, bound together as the family of God. Uh, We don't always live that out, do we, as we should. I I read this this, uh, little snippet this week, which struck me, actually. And it it speaks into this, really. If somebody's quoting... Uh, what they observed. A while back, a, a former gang member came to our church. He was heavily tattooed and rough around the edges, but he was curious to see what church was like. He had a relationship with Jesus and seemed to get fairly involved with the church. After a few months, I found out the guy was no longer coming to the church. When asked why he didn't come anymore, he gave the following explanation. I had the wrong idea of what church was going to be like. When I joined the church, I thought it was going to be like joining a gang. 
You see, in the gangs, we weren't just nice to each other once a week. We were family. Hmm. Church isn't always as it should be. But it should be like family, with genuine care and genuine relationship. So I'm sorry if you've been let down by us as a church or other churches, but that's how church should be, warm, accepting, caring, together, interested, loyal, quality relationships lived out. You like family meetups. Well, maybe you don't like massive, you're not a social not a social animal, maybe you don't like massive meetups with lots of people, but I guess most of us like at least close family meetups, don't we? You know, when the, as the brothers come back who've not been around, or the children come home and you're all together, close family, relationships are open, company is loved. And, uh, and you don't want to miss out, do you, if family is all together. So Christians, as the family of God, love being together. They don't want to miss out on being together. Well, I really like that first song that we sung, Oh, How Good It Is. Um, I picked it so I knew it was relevant, but as we sung it, I thought, yeah, this is so good. It's drawn from Psalm 133, which starts like this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell or live together in unity. It's so good. That's how it should be. The family of God, brothers and sisters with faith in Christ, together as the family. It's the language picked up in Ephesians 2. That's why we read those verses as well. In verse 19, so then, so it's just a diverse family, it's not a monochrome family. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household the family of God. The Bible conveys that it affects the way we treat one another and how we care. I expect you've heard the song over the, the, the decades. It was made a hit by the Hollies long ago in the 60s and 70s. Um, he's my brother. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. And the origins of it are quite interesting You can track them down on the web. And this was the background to that being written. In 1884, James Wells, the moderator of the United Free Church of Scotland, in his book, The Parables of Jesus, tells the story of a little girl carrying a big baby boy. Seeing her struggling, someone asked if she wasn't tired and exhausted. With surprise, she replied, No, he's not heavy, he's my brother. No, he's not heavy, he's my brother. So her love and sense of relationship meant that she just wanted to do it for him, that he wasn't a burden. He's not heavy because he's my brother. And so it is, and should be, in the family of God, there is a care, a love, a delight, hopefully, to be looking out for one another, to be caring. Isn't that great to be part of? The family of God. The household of God. Well, that was the first thing he says. Why bother with church? Because it's the family of God. Why bother with church? Because it is the church of the living God. We're just carrying on through our verse. Verse 15. The household of God, which is the church of the living God. Church really means assembly. It means sort of a gathering together of a group of people. A group of people brought together. Well, you have it in schools. You have school assemblies. Everyone is gathered together. And the church is the church of the living God. A few months ago, we looked at that wonderful theme. I thought it was anyway, of the God who gathers. God gathers people together forms them as a church. It can be used as a term in terms of the the global universal church, everyone who is a believer, everyone who trusts in Christ, but the phrase is also used in the Bible for local churches, the church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth, the church at Antioch. There's local groups of, of the people 
that God has brought together and saved and given faith to. It's the church. It's the church of the living God. It belongs to him. That's good to remember that. We might sometimes say, oh, that's... that's, uh, John T. Alcock's church, or that's Peter Master's church, or, or, or that's Alistair Begg's church, if you know some of these preachers. And yes, it's the church they go to, the church they serve, the church they're involved with, but of course it is God's church. It's the church of the living God. It's the church of people that he has wonderfully formed together. 1 Peter 2 9 and 10 shows this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's church. I guess if you served in different households in those ancient times when you had a sort of household steward, you found that uh, some families that you worked for were, were good and maybe you moved on to another family and they would be not so good. Well, here this is the, the household that belongs to God and there is nobody better to know, nobody better to serve than God. It is God's household. It is God's assembly. It is God's church. And notice the phrase, it's the church of the living God. It's not a mere relic to a bygone age. It's not just preserving the traditions of the past. The living God is at work in his church. The living God is powerfully at work in the people. The living God is communicating. The living God is doing things. It's the church of the living God. And it's the church, not just that belongs to him, but it's the church that he lives in. He, he, he works in, he lives in, works through the church. It fulfills some of the Old Testament pictures. Maybe if you know uh, a little bit of the Old Testament, you might know something about these. But even if you don't, you'll, you'll catch it quickly. In the Old Testament, you had the, the tabernacle, which was a, 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 a place, a, a very ornate tent, uh, which w- was built, and it was to be a place where, uh, where God dwelt and lived and revealed his glory. So you come to the end of book of Exodus in verse 34 in the last chapter. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Awesome scene. And then a bit later on, rather than an ornate tent, you have a, a building, you have the temple built by Solomon. And in 1 Kings 8 and uh, verse 10, you have something similar occurring to that building. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And in the New Testament, the church is several times called the temple of the living God. It's where God in his glory lives, dwells and works. Those glorious scenes of the tabernacle and the temple are fulfilled in the lives even of individual believers, but especially as they are together, worshipping, operating together as a group of people. It's the temple of the living God, the church of the living God. And it's something very special. Let's put this way in 1 Corinthians verse 14. It's expected to have an impact actually on other people as they come in and sense the presence of God working in the life of the church. And it talks about somebody coming in in 1 
Corinthians 14 and verse 25, coming in, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Some people have a strong allegiance to certain groups or celebrities or individuals. Maybe they follow one of these music groups. Maybe they, they go on tour. You know, if there's a European tour, maybe they, they go to every European city to follow them. They want to be with them. They want to be in their presence because it's the music, music group that they love. I want to be where they are. Say that about God. I want to be where God is. And God is especially present. He's, he's present in our lives individually. We know that. But he's a, a sense in which he's especially present. Awareness of his presence in the life of the church. So don't you then want to bother about church? Isn't that something you want to be with? Take interest in? Follow? Don't you want to follow where it goes? Count me in. I'm a supporter. I'm on board. The church of the living God. There's a third reason. The verse carries on, 1 Timothy 3. The household, the family of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. A pillar and and buttress of the truth. Uh, so anyway, I think the first point we had was a, a relation uh, in relation to each other, the family of God. The second, more directly in relation to God, the church of the living God. And um, the third, a bit more in relation to society and, and what's around. And that the church should be a beacon of truth. Um, portraying, conveying, projecting what is, what is right, what is revealed, what is refreshing, what is reinvigorating. Um, the imagery is slightly different in Ephesians 2. It's worth just clocking that, I think. We read Ephesians 2, but it'll help us to get a right understanding. Ephesians 2, it talked about members of the household of God and some of the building imagery is used there. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So it's saying that truth is founded on God's word. So we just get that clear, that truth doesn't really originate from the church. The church itself doesn't dictate what's truth. At some Churches have gone down that route. They've trumped what the church says over what the Bible says. Well, it's clear that the basis is the prophets, the apostles, biblical truth is the foundation. Church is not the initiator and decider of truth. God's word is truth. But the church supports and protects that truth. The two words used are buttress. We perhaps don't think much of buttresses unless you're actually into uh, buildings. A buttress supports the structure or a wall. You know, sometimes you've been to these um, National Trust houses or, or, or ancient houses and, and you've got a wall and you've got these sort of... Um, wall. Next to them you've got uh, these sort of diagonal slopes going right up into the wall to sort of keep it steady. And they're buttresses. They're supporting. They're upholding the truth. And the church is a, a buttress of the truth. It, 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 it protects the truth. It keeps the truth being prominent in the world. And it is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Timothy was in Ephesus. And they knew uh, what a pillar was. Uh, one of our favourite family games is uh, Seven Wonders. I don't know if any of you have got Seven Wonders. We quite like it as a family. And when you play Seven Wonders, you get a, a, an ancient city. You get a card, and that's your sort of starting point where you're working from. And if you've played it, this is the card you get for Ephesus. 
And it's very handy for now, because Ephesus there, it's got the temple of Artemis, or the temple of Diana. And it was a famous temple in Ephesus at that time, and it had a hundred iconic pillars, 18 metres high, each of them. So he was writing to Timothy in Ephesus at that stage where that was present. And he's talking about the church being the pillar of the truth. And of course, a a pillar supports the building and it lifts up the building. And so the church supports the truth and the church, if you like, lifts up, makes clear the truth. The truth that people need to know, the truth which dictates people's lives, the truth which will be their guide, the truth which is so often absent from people's mindset and outlook and values, and it is the church that holds up biblical truth for society. So seen by others. It's a a bit like, if you like, a lighthouse. That's a significant picture in the history of the church here, as some of you know. But uh, you've got a light and it acts as a a warning and really a direction to safety. It's shining out of the darkness, and it can be seen because it's lifted up, because you 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 don't look down, there's a lighthouse in that pit. No, the lighthouse is on a really big tower, a pillar really, so that as many people as possible can see it. And the church is... Pillar and buttress of the truth. So if you care about society and what it needs, and you care about what the church is doing for society in lifting up, projecting the truth about Jesus Christ, the way, the truth and the life. Great verse was mentioned at the funeral on Monday. The false teachers at Ephesus in Timothy's day seem to have been narrow and inward so much of this letter broadens their outlook out. The church is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. The society around us needs truth, it needs big truths, and those big truths are upheld, projected, published by the work of faithful churches. So, Some might be tempted to deride the church. Maybe we even see it this way as a sort of marginal, irrelevant, outdated, a nice thing for a few centuries ago. But we see here that it's a key thing, a key plank in God's program. It's truth teacher, truth promoter, directs, protects, gets the message out which rescues and saves. Doesn't that excite you? Don't you want to be supporting that? Let's go back to our, our points. So, is the church just an old building? Is the church just a, a hobby for enthusiasts? Is the church just a preservation of traditions? Is the church in irrelevance? No! Screams the descriptions that we're given in verse 15. And having taken that in this evening, hopefully, having clocked it, digested it, then it has some practical outworkings. Do you like to be with the church, part of the church, when it's the family of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth? Are you concerned for the health and the work of the church? Are you committed, despite being in a commitment-phobe generation, are you willing to be committed to the life and work of the church? Well, when you see those descriptions... Are you concerned to pray for its effect on the society around? Well, I was on 1 Timothy 3 just because I got to there in my readings this week and 
And I was impressed with these descriptions and this verse. And I hoped it might enthuse you as well to have a high view of the church as the Lord has a high view of the church, which is the household of God, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Well, as we sometimes do, I just allow a, we've got a good minute or or more, just allow a minute's quiet personal reflection. Maybe this is a bit new to you. Maybe actually you feel, hmm, I'm not sure my life is really aligned to what is true about the church. I haven't really bothered with the church. Um, Even though I'm a Christian, it's not really been significant to me. And uh, some things I need to think through and pray through. So I'm just going to give a quiet minute for us to think and pray on our own before we sing our last song. Well, let's sing then our last song, which is drawn from the the Peter reference that I read a little bit earlier. As a both sense of the privilege of being part of the church and some of the practical outworking. Church of God, elect and glorious, holy nation, chosen race, called as God's own special people, royal priests and heirs of grace. Know the purpose of your calling, show to all his mighty deeds tale of love which knows no limits, grace which meets all human needs.
Oh Lord, we confess that we've often had uh, too low a view of, of, of the church, of your people. We've not prized the privilege of being part of that group. We've not been sufficiently aware of the, the joy and immense goodness of being able to join together Infuse us, Lord, with a, a love for being part of the family of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and the buttress of the truth. We pray that that will help us in our attitudes and also in the practical outworking of our actions. May your word live in us as we have been open to it this evening, we pray. Amen.